0: the shipper, the retailer, was most interested in optimizing for their Scope 3 emissions. That's where we got really excited and it becomes a pretty close partnership. In terms of integration, I mean, so as you might imagine, crate and barrel, it's not like we can have a fragile feature for them to tag on items.
1: Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people
2: Welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Most SMBs don't understand the importance of packing process. They might have very serialized pick, pack, and ship process and might pack one order at a time. As companies mature, they gain efficiencies by decoupling the process steps and optimizing them individually. Packing in one step, which is often ignored. Most SMB companies might simply send the order from their e or ERP to print the shipping label using the order or pick list, skipping the packing step. So not only having a good packing step is necessary, but there are several technologies available that can help you optimize the packing step by doing the math for you. For the ideal packaging configuration, saving freight costs and losses due to misconfigured packaging. In today's episode, our guest James Melly shares his insights on the importance of the packing step of the pick-pack ship process. He also talks about the importance of having good product dimension and packaging data that can help to streamline the packing process. Finally, he discusses several other nuances of packaging process and how other companies are taking advantage of advancements in the packaging technologies. Let me introduce James to you. James Mele is the CEO and co-founder of Packerit, the only patented API first cartonization solution. Packerit optimizes transportation cost directly by generating efficient packing instructions for humans or box machines according to your unique cost and return packing instructions in under 2 milliseconds, drastically reducing cubic volume, wasted material and shipping cost. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey James, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. And this is going to be so much fun. We have been talking about these things, and especially supply chain is always, always fun to talk. So we are going to have a lot of fun discussing the whole packing process. Just to kick things off, do you want to start with your personal story uh, and your current focus, James?
0: Sure. Yeah. So I actually, uh, in college, I went to art school. Yeah. Um, I was studying to become an actor. um, would change. Yeah, I, I did a little pivot. Uh, you know, I minored in computer science just in yep. case that whole acting thing didn't work out. <laughs> um, but you know, I've been making websites uh for theater companies in New York, uh really? just for, for for beer money during college. Oh, wow. And by the time I graduated I you know, I kinda realized I enjoyed that more, which hmm. is never something you want for an actor um, it, because, you know, you need to have your heart totally and in, into acting if you want to make it. Yeah. Um, so it was like almost like a week after college, I immediately started taking on uh, technical projects.
2: Um, Pretty interesting.
0: <laughs> and then, and then found my way into logistics tech less than a year later. Yeah. Um, and, you know, working on integrations between, you know, shipping systems and WMS um, we even my my now co-founder and CTO. We actually built a fully fledged shipping system at one point. Hmm. Um, and these days, uh, I'm the CEO and, and co-founder at Packurit, um, and we help uh,
2: shippers, mostly e-commerce shippers, pack uh, more efficiently. Okay, very interesting. So obviously, my what I'm trying to do as part of this episode and my personal curiosity is always going to be okay. How can I Fit these tech together in my enterprise architecture. That's what I like to figure out. So obviously, I'm going to have real fun discussing this. But before <laughs> we do that, we have one of the questions that we ask every single guest names, and that is going to be your perspective on business growth. Oh,
0: business growth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I I can kind of I can speak to our experience because we're you know it was uh, kind of bootstrapped in the early days um we had this idea for how this problem could be solved yeah. uh differently um and then you know we were able to get some some big customers and and leverage that to raise a seed round earlier yeah, this year yeah. so now you know we went from pat and i kind of writing things on napkins and kind of ideating uh to you know being a venture backed startup so yeah. it's been in a in a short period of time kind of a whirlwind um this is really it was really the first time I ever raised uh, venture capital um uh, so it's a huge learning experience but I also I I don't think that taking a big check from investors right. is the only way to grow a business certainly um I think there are plenty of business models that that's not appropriate where you're better off kind of slugging you know slugging it out and, and bootstrapping it um, but you know my my entire kind of context for that question is the path that we're on today, which is uh the emphasis is sort of on uh fast growth and uh, building a team really fast
2: and and growing as fast as possible. yeah, could not agree more, and I think if I think about e commerce e commerce is always going to be about fast growth and going back to your conversation overall, your acting background, the way supply chain is right now, it's almost like a drama. So probably I think skills could be handy. <laughs> also, when you look at, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead.
0: No, I was just gonna say. I mean, it's it's been a uh, tumultuous few years. I, <laughs> I mean, we're. I think we're all hoping things would calm down a little bit post pandemic. But there's. It seems like every week there's some new crisis that affects everybody. So definitely dramatic.
2: Yeah, but I mean, one thing that I like about this environment is we have really seen the 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 low. I don't think it's going to get any worse than this. So we are far more prepared as a world in my mind. So that's what is the positive light that I see in this environment. But the other thing that we want to talk about is, okay, when you think of supply chain, obviously supply chain could be very dramatic right now. But, you know, when you look at all of these tech um, systems popping in, it could be equally dramatic as well, especially for people who don't have as much background. Every single tech that you have, everybody is talking about supply chain tech, right? So now let's say if you are thinking from the perspective of a CFO or COO and they are trying to patch these things together, for them, it could be very confusing. So that's where I like to figure this thing out. Okay, how can I fit all of these tools in the architecture where they are going to be the fit, right? So I am going to give you a couple of scenarios and then probably you can offer your commentary where you are seeing let's say the whole packing process where it fits whether it is going to be for the enterprise customers or for the smaller customers so two different architecture that i typically see you know when a supply chain talks about supply chain meaning supply chain community okay they are typically talking about retail distribution okay so for retail distribution the kind of architecture you are going to have uh, you know it's going to be very different from the newer architecture which is slightly more e-commerce on the channel Okay. Traditionally, the way all of these systems worked is you had some sort of OMS system, OMS uh, you know tied to your WMS, maybe GMS. So that was one layer. ERP systems were sort of in the background. We didn't have any sort of e-commerce, right? But now, in the newer architecture, things are very different because now we are talking about omnichannel. So let's say when you talk about the scope of this packing segment, where does it fit? I mean, where does it fit overall? In terms of which system is it tagging along overall in terms of the architecture and which particular companies, maybe size of the companies are going to be the right fit for something like this?
0: Sure. So this, the smaller companies, um, they tend to call our API because that's really, okay. you know, our, our main products a stateless API. They'll call it from even as far upstream as their online shopping cart. Okay. Um, so, you know, because free shipping is starting to become less tenable. Yeah. Um so they they kind of need that information there anyway to quote shipping accurately, yeah, uh, and then they'll just hold on to the packing solution uh that we generate, and they'll pass it through all the way down to the actual time of fulfillment um and I guess you know the the bigger the company is yeah the the later that that kind of determination happens, so you know obviously Manhattan customers. Um, they may have to uh, go head-to-head with Manhattan to, in order to call an external cubing kind of algorithm. Um, yeah. But that's that's where it kind of tends to happen when the order wave drops in the warehouse. They'll send, you know, whatever, 10,000 uh, cartonization requests there.
2: Okay, so various things, uh, very interesting. So let's do a little walkthrough here overall in terms of the flow of information, right? Um, so typically in my experience, let's say if I'm looking at Shopify centric installations, so, a Shopify is probably going to have something like either Ship Engine, uh, you know, ShipStation. They are probably going to act their TMS because they don't probably have, uh, you know, as robust warehouse management system. Or they might have, even if they go for something, some of the warehouse systems that are going to be closely tied nowadays. I mean, you probably get with NetSuite, Akamatica, you know. So, right. in this particular case, you have, so they are acting as more of the TMS component. So now, right. So describe the role of this process. Where, why do they need to get the rate for, let's say, 10,000 cartons? Okay, can I not go to my space jet or ship station or something like that and simply pack and ship it? So why do I need to go and talk to another system there?
0: Yeah, so there's two things going on. One is kind of the the business requirement to have that information, and the other is kind of a limitation inherent in those systems. So I'll, I'll speak on the first uh, the first point. Yeah. Um, like I said, you know, wh- when shippers call us or other cartonization in yeah. the shopping cart, it's because historically, when you see a shipping quote when you're checking out in an online shopping cart, yeah, that amount is usually totally made up, <laughs> or right. or based yeah. on some very very like basic logic, like I you agree. know, add another dollar per item or what you know it. <laughs> Very simple. So yep. as shipping's gotten more expensive and yep. you know that method has stopped working for a lot of retailers because they end up, you know, paying way more than they estimated. Or yep. um we, we have uh, uh one customer that was doing something similar and they're like great flat rate thirty dollars for XYZ. Yeah. They lo- they they had all these instances where they were losing thousands of dollars per yep. order because yep. somebody ordered like 18 blankets so that obviously is uh, extremely detrimental um and then on the sort of solution provider side yeah cartonization which is really what what we call this uh right. you know determining which boxes a shipment should go in it's a it's a deceptively deep problem that requires kind of a lot of functionality to do well right so you you have kind of various levels of sophistication um, liquid fill is yeah. one kind of, uh, method where you're saying, okay, uh, this cup or, or this, you know, object has a lower total cubic volume than the box. So it must fit in. Right. Of course, a shovel may have a lower total cubic volume than a box, but it could still put a hole right through it because it's too long. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there, there's a lot of problems there. So a lot of these, uh, solutions, uh, WMS, TMS, OMS, you know, they may have tried to put a feature in place. Uh, to accommodate this requirement, yeah um, but their you know their focus is really on end to end, making a really nice end to end process. Yeah, so anywhere where you have to go super deep and you know it, it would make their products actually fairly uh, lopsided. Um, so that's why you know m- most shippers now are going with like an
2: independent vendor for this kind of math. Very interesting. So okay, so I am going to do a quick walk through again because obviously I am learning about this platform for the first time as well, and most likely my listeners will probably not know you know where this fits in the process. So one thing that you had mentioned overall from the e-commerce perspective is whenever they are going to do any sort of request, I completely get that. Even the inventory is probably going to be fake there on the site. I mean, they probably don't have the real inventory. So they are quoting some sort of rate, okay, $5 for the order, but then your actual shipping is probably going to be $20. So typically the flow of information, even if you, let's say, don't have ERP in the interaction, then what is going to happen is, okay, your e-commerce is going to book the order. It's going to come to your, if you are simply fulfilling from your e-commerce itself, then that's going to go to your CMS, right? But in between, you are saying that you need to call this API And that is going to give me something, right? So is it going to give me, let's say, the right packaging size? Because typically, traditionally, if you look at where the packaging information resided, sometimes that's going to be inside the ERP system. Some companies store it inside the e-commerce system, depending upon how their workflow is. So in this particular case, you are saying that these companies are not going to be storing packaging information, but they are going to be calling either your system or API, and then it is going to recommend the packaging information, and after that, it's gonna go and shop the rate from the UPS or FedEx. Or are you guys going to be providing the rate as well? <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm making sense here.
0: No, I love it. So depending on the level of, like, if a if a shipper is complex enough that they have uh, ERP, yeah, and they've you know they've got like a bunch to consider about where's where's the stuff yeah, uh, yeah. that's part of this order. Usually we try we try not to get involved in a lot of that inventory and decision making level stuff. Yeah, yeah. We're just saying, okay, whatever this order event looks like before yep. it ships, that's when we're going to tell you which of the boxes you have available it should all go in and we show a 3D image of how those items go in the box. We can we operate in a few different modes, so if they have a box uh box making machine, yep. we can also tell that machine what box or boxes to make uh based on their fulfillment uh, based on their transportation material and labor costs how, how should this shipment be configured
2: very interesting so here basically you know you are obviously splitting the packaging information how it should be packaged and then you sort of have the visual instructions for the packers how that need to be packaged right so you are sort of making the decision how this shipment needs to be packaged but you need to know the information related to where it is going to be shipped so i don't know if you are going to be storing this information because obviously your downstream system is probably going to be your tms system that is going to have the carrier information that is going to know how the container is probably going to look right so yeah do you want to paint some more colors here i guess so
0: yeah yeah so this is um going down the rabbit hole a little bit, but so yeah. we don't actually do any carrier rating. Okay. Um, what we care about in terms yeah. of the carriers is the structure of their rates. So um, some of our big customers like a Crate and Barrel or a Dillard's, they'll provide either their rates or or something that represents their rate structures yeah. um, so that our algorithm can say, okay, FedEx is incentivizing you to consolidate this into one box or split it up. So we're stateless. So we're not making any calls to any APIs or anything. We're just trying to figure out the math problem, and then they go and they can actually rate it or print a label after that. So we're we're kind of this little in-between math step that happens uh, after the order wave drops, but before, thing, before labels get uh, printed.
2: Okay, so do you have any sort of stories that you might be able to share, you know, how, the story started. What was the original problem? What kind of business uh, are we talking about? And then, how did the whole implementation process go?
0: Sure. So, I uh, some of our customers are a little cagey about a, yeah. us disclosing names, but we we often because our our team is pretty motivated by the sustainability implications of what we do, um, because we're able to kind of measure saved cardboard in acres. Yep. uh over the course of a year for for some of our customers um and so some of the the stories where the shipper the retailer was most interested in optimizing for their scope 3 emissions huh. um that's where we got really excited and it becomes a pretty close uh partnership um in terms of integration i mean it it's uh, for our product most of the work is in understanding how the shipper can use our api to satisfy their use cases so as you might imagine crate and barrel it's not like we can have a fragile feature for them to tag on items they have dozens of different definitions of what fragile means depending on the item category so usually we'll engage with um you know a, a retailer like that and help them craft the api responses uh, so that, uh, sorry, the requests so yep. that they make they actually return the results that minimize damage in terms of actually integrating uh, even for our largest customers. It only takes a couple weeks, maybe one or two uh, people working on it because we you know, the way we're architected, it's totally stateless. No, no configuration on our side, everything has to go into the request and then everything you need comes back in the response.
2: Yeah, so very interesting. And my audience is the CFOs and uh, COOs, so they are probably not going to know what what are the APIs and what is the (laughs) importance of, uh, you know, I guess, you know, they are trying to wrap their head around with respect to the process itself, you know, what is going to be the impact of their process and and what they are going to get out out of it.
0: Sure. Yeah. So I I think the, the easiest way of understanding it is, uh you know packing in general is ridiculously unoptimized yeah um there's a lot of low hanging fruit uh in packing a- and in packaging for that matter yeah. for things to be better and so you know what what we spend a lot of time doing is not just advocating for packit but adv- advocating for solving the problem it's a it's actually a, a fairly special problem in supply chain where your costs and your emissions and waste, they're all the same. Yeah. So every time a uh, shipment's more expensive, it's also more polluting. Um, yep. And so if you have sort of ESG goals, uh, you know, sustainability initiatives, this is a great area to focus on because unlike a lot of other initiatives you might have going, this one you get paid to do too. Right. Um, so, you know, if you're able to uh, optimize every 20th shipment, yeah. to be a little bit more uh suitable for the journey that it's gonna take to the customer yeah. so that might mean um if you're shipping to a zip code over it might be in a you know a single box if it's being put on a plane or something it might be split out into more in order to maximize cubic volume yeah um so without going too down the down the rabbit hole, I think you know you're if you're if your audience takes away anything, it's just that there's a lot of uh there's a lot of room for improvement here. And even if you're not ready to adopt a technology like a pacurate, yeah, you can talk to your parcel carrier directly because they've all of them have set up, uh, you know, packaging labs where you can get in touch and they'll help you try to figure out how to do things here a little bit more efficiently. And just for just for uh, uh, a sense of scale. What we've seen with uh, medium and large-sized shippers is anywhere between six and twenty-two percent savings on transportation spend, thirteen percent reduction in the amount of material used, um, and I think it's fourteen to fifteen percent fewer floor-loaded trailers required. So the benefits are. There's a kind
2: of a, a very large ripple effect to doing this well. Very interesting. So I love those numbers. But what I love more is the comment that you made related to, you know, the packaging is not optimized. In fact, in my experience, and I don't know how large your customers are, to be honest, if you go to the most of the SMB customers, they don't have a packing process, okay? They don't understand the importance of packing process. So if I go to my average $50 to million business, to be honest, if they are going to have 50,000 square feet warehouse. Typically, the way they, they work and think is, OK, here's my order. Order goes to my ship station, goes, uh, you know, you're shipping. There is no sort of packing process. And sometimes it's very challenging for me uh, to communicate to them that, OK, you have three steps and these three steps operate very, very, very differently from the supply chain perspective, from the optimization perspective, they are they need to be completely decoupled in your process. And if you are not doing that, then obviously you are not going to get as much operational efficiencies. Um, so now let's right. say if somebody does not know how the packing process works and they are trying to incorporate this for the first time, maybe they are doing, I don't know, man, 5,000 orders a month. Okay. Now in yeah. your experience, let's say if they are doing that, is it a good, uh, you know, step or in, in their journey that packing is going to be beneficial or is it going to be overkill roughly around that point in your experience? Not overkill at all,
0: um, okay. you know, in particular with solutions like ours that charge based on usage. Yeah, so you'll you'll always have that kind of uh, return on investment. Um, I think the, the smaller you are, the okay. higher percentage savings um, and return on investment we see. Um, so, so, you know, the larger shippers, they may save like six to 10%, which is a ton, but the smaller shippers are often going to save around 20, you know, up to 20%. Um, so it's, there's kind of an interesting inverse there. Um, but yeah, I mean, picture saving around a square foot and a dollar or more per shipment. So run, run the numbers yourself. And if that, if that's compelling for,
2: uh, your business, it's worth looking into for sure. Yeah, the numbers are most certainly compelling. I mean, there is no question about that. But one of the things that I guess, you know, we were discussing the other time as well, uh, your comment related to Spec, right. and obviously Spec, right is trying to solve similar problem. We have hosted them as well, right? So they are trying to attack this pr- problem more from the the product data perspective. And let's say, and I don't know if you guys are also being used along with them. Because obviously they are going to be sort of the master data for the packaging and the product information, then uh, are you guys going to be consumer of their data? How is that interaction is going to work? Uh, let's say if somebody is trying to use both of them together.
0: I'm a massive spec right fan. Uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, I just met I met them at uh, Pack Expo a couple of yeah. weeks ago and uh, yeah. took home some pa- spec right swag that I was actually I should have brought to the podcast today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, what they're doing. I I love it because it's another, quote unquote, like boring problem, but it, it represents a tremendously important kind of backbone of any kind of operational efficiency improvements That you want to make in your organization so there's kind of a a a give and take between us and them where they have the data so we can use it to run analyses and um you know tell people what size cartons they should use or in their dcs etc um and on the other side you know we have a lot of folks coming to us that are saying you know we know that our packing's bad but we don't have good healthy data um, and that's when we would say, well, go, you know, go see SpecRite and they'll yeah. they'll totally sort you out. So all of this stuff, all this, you know, we have a similar relationship with Cubiscan, um, okay. where we we want to send people uh, over there to collect these dimensions. Um, so all of the the sort of requirements for solving the packing problem, they have benefits outside of packing. Any initiative where you better understand the stuff. Uh, that you're selling uh, yeah. it, it is
2: really healthy for, for any organization. Okay, very interesting. So let's take an example of different industries. And I don't know if m- most industries are probably going to be needing packing process. Let's say if you are shipping just one you know equipment and that could cost less millions of dollars and probably you don't need packing process. I don't know. Maybe you can tell me because obviously you see a lot more industries, right? So in your experience, let's say if you talk about different industries, where the packing step is going to be most beneficial, is it in all warehouses or just some industries?
0: So e-commerce probably represents uh, 80% of our uh, customer base. Yeah. Uh, Home goods is a big component. Uh, Pet supplies, anywhere where there's a big diversity of SKUs, where there's, there's an anywhere where there's an element of complexity is where some of the kind of deep optimization and, um can really pay off but anywhere that any industry that's pro- has stuff that's prone to damages just being able to take total control of your packing you can kind of quantify fragility or or you know what this what each kind of product category needs in order to not be damaged in transit those are also like extremely
2: um uh Uh, relevant. Very interesting. So obviously, when anybody is thinking about just the fragility as well as I like your comment related to the sustainability as well. And a lot of companies are getting these metrics and sometimes they are mandated by government. I mean, at least in our space, we are seeing the influence of sustainability, but as such, they are not really mandated. So I don't know how many businesses are really taking it seriously, but there is definitely a little bit of drive there. So let's say if we talk about the the roles of who is driving these initiatives, are they going to be driven by warehouse, procurement, finance? Who typically drives these initiatives? Number one, from the sustainability perspective, Number two, you seem to be talking a lot about fragility as well. So is it going to be the job of just the warehouse manager or somebody else? Man, it, it is a, a,
0: a total mishmash of everybody that ends up in, uh, involved in, in trying to solve this problem. I would say we tend to reach out to finance people because we can just put numbers in front of them based on a quick analysis to say, yeah. OK, here's here's the size of the opportunity, whether you go with us or not. Um, and then you know they have they tend to have some muscle and they can kind of drive an initiative uh, in an organization um if a company already has sort of a, an internal mandate to solve the problem, and usually that either comes from pressure from the shareholders or people posting pictures of badly packed boxes of theirs on social media yeah uh, that That's when uh, we'll usually talk to like the director of engineering. Often they'll have a supply chain focus in the organization. Um, And then lastly, um, you know, we've been seeing some interesting titles lately, like digital transformation supply chain, um, you know, which which is basically like a continuous improvement kind of role. So that's that's usually who's involved. But then we always find our, our way to working directly with the WMS IT team to actually get it done.
2: Okay, so let's explore the scenario. So you said that, you know what, if you have a, you know, broken packaging problem, then you can probably help. So let's say if I'm the executive that is really struggling with this problem, I mean, I have Um, the packaging problem I know that and I come to you that okay I have this packaging problem it could be on one line it could be on one facility one warehouse so what would be my next step let's say if I come to you so what are you going to tell me are you going to ask me okay how many different systems I have what kind of data I have so describe the process in terms of where should I start and what is what are going to be my next step
0: yeah well because we're at the phase we're at as a startup, we don't want to work on any projects unless yeah. they're going to be a slam dunk, uh, amazing success story. So typically, the first thing we'll do is, is like I said, measure the opportunity. Okay. So We'll say, g- give us your shipping data from the last three months. And we'll show them a report that says, all right, here's everything we found out about the potential to improve here so if you had added three boxes three cartons to your mix in your warehouse yeah this it would have affected your uh costs uh this way or if you had packed uh in a way that respected the incentives that your um ups or fedex rates have baked into it this is this is how it would have affected things so we generate like a ton of scenarios just to just to try to show them that there's a lot they could do. Yeah. Um, we even usually present a scenario that we call Pacurate Perfect, yeah. which is um simulates a you know a box making machine. If every shipment had the perfect boxes for it, here's what the total opportunity uh is. Um so that's usually the first step.
2: Okay, so very interesting. So just to wrap my head around this, so basically you are going to ask me some sort of data and I'm probably going to my my ship station, I guess, Uh, and I am getting you the data. So what kind of data elements are you looking at there? Are you worried about uh, just the packaging per order? Are you looking at that? Are you looking at dimensions? Um, What all do you need to have in there? And what if, let's say if I don't have that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so at a minimum we need, uh, in terms of historical order data, the dimensions of the items that were in those orders and the boxes that you used or the boxes that are uh, available to use in the warehouse. So that's kind of the the bare minimum. If you don't have item dimensions yet, we'll refer you to uh, a consultancy or, like I said, CubaScan so you can start doing that. and and off sometimes they'll have those machines already uh but they'll have like left them in a corner to collect dust uh so they'll dust those off and and try to get uh, a cleaner item master um so at that point we just we have it automated on our side so we'll feed it into the system there might be one or two edge cases like we have a a, a customer that sells bicycle parts. Yeah. And they said, "Well, free when we sell tires, they have to be stacked this many high, yeah. and then certain SKUs can go inside the t- you know the wheel." And, yeah. Um. So so we had to kind of configure it to respect those uh, constraints uh, so that the data we show in the end can actually be actionable. And then if if the uh, dollar savings or the sustainability metrics that we present at that point are compelling enough. Yeah, They will move forward with something.
2: Okay, so very interesting. and I really don't know how many businesses have the item dimensions, okay? So typically, mm-hmm. they definitely do have the packaging dimensions because obviously they need to package it and the packaging goes with the item master. If they ha- are really sophisticated in the warehouse operations and they have a decent WMS, then they are probably going to have the packaging dimensions in the space that we work with. Sometimes we don't even have barcodes, to be honest, okay? Yeah. <laughs> so if they don't have barcodes i mean how are they going and by the way just doing the labeling and barcoding that itself seems like a lot of effort so now getting dimensions i don't know are these going to be entered is somebody going to generate those so what is typically the process let's say if somebody does not have so even if they are going to hire a consultant i think they are going to have <laughs> a lot of work for them i guess so, yeah. what is the process?
0: Yeah, so uh, like anything else there there's varying degrees of uh efficiency and complexity uh, that come with the cost. Yeah. Uh so, you know, you could send an intern out there with a measuring tape and have them do their best to huh. <laughs> uh measure measure the skews and type them into a spreadsheet somewhere. That would be the lowest tech uh version. Um but then you have these really sophisticated now dimensioning uh cameras and and devices huh. that usually they'll either be uh camera based and they'll use kind of uh logic to try to figure out the dimensions of an item you put under them or yeah. they'll be la- laser based which tend to be a little bit more pixel perfect um and and they have a way of you know making those automatically go and update the item master uh so you just put an item underneath click a button and then move on to the next one so that's kind of a an item profiling step that if you have a ton of SKUs, you really kind of have to commit to, Um, if you want to do any sort of uh, cartonization sophistication.
2: Okay, so that is very interesting, and and I need to understand this, okay? So here, you are talking about these laser guns, and I don't know if they are part of the (laughs) same RF reader that you are going to have, let's say, in the warehouse, and my understanding would be that that's exactly what is probably pushing the item dimension as well. But when you are scanning, you are not always scanning just the item, because... Sometimes what you are going to be scanning, you might scan your license plates, you might, uh, you know, scan your pallets, you might scan your cases, you might scan your individual item. So how would the system know which is the item and what are the dimensions?
0: So, yeah, these are a little bit different than like the, uh, you know, the scanner guns that you might have in the warehouse. Typically, these are usually... They look like a, a small table with a support beam on top, with a big camera mounted mounted in the middle. So if you put if you put an object on the table, it's able to look down and calculate the dimensions to be saved somewhere. So you're not really at the execution step yet. This is really I have this new uh, you know stuffed rabbit. Uh, it's time to <laughs> bring, that I'm going to sell my customers. It's time to go stick it on the dimensioner. And so my system can be updated with the correct dimensions.
2: So is it going to be at the time of creating the product? Because obviously you are not creating new items all the time. Sometimes you are simply receiving those. So at what step are they going to basically measure the dimensions?
0: Every organization is different. I mean, yeah. if uh, we, we do hear a lot that... Um, you know, some retailers don't trust the dimensions that the manufacturers are <laughs> sent yeah. along. Um, and I think in some cases, for good reason. Um, so they uh, they will use these kind of devices to verify that this stuffed bunny is indeed 10 inches long and five
2: inches wide and can compress this much, uh, et cetera. So just to be clear, uh, you know, so are they verifying this at the time of every single receive when they are going to be receiving? that product in the inventory or is it going to be just the first time when they are trying to sell a new SKU and that's probably going to be part of your product management process that okay I have created a new item you know I have ordered this item as part of my purchase order now I am trying to create this so I'm actually going to scan this money and then I'm going to input my dimensions there I guess uh
0: both (laughs) okay (laughs) so yeah yeah unfortunately both uh uh, we, we do see a surprising number of when the items come into the warehouse yeah. somebody will go over to the pallet of of those things and grab one and scan it and then they let the pallet go uh and and they put it away in the in the warehouse shelves. So I think you also there's a little bit of uh a redundancy sometimes with the operational item master yeah. which kind of lives in the warehouse and then the item master that is part of the larger, you know, organization that finance and, and other people don't want you yeah. don't want the warehouse folks to touch. Yeah. Uh, so so that that's kind of an interesting trend I'm seeing right now too is having these multiple item masters because it, it can be a little tricky to make changes if you're just a person in the warehouse floor. Um, usually you don't have permission to go up into the the central. ERP brain uh, of your company and and change things.
2: Yeah, and that's where my problem will be. Let's say if I am designing this whole process as well as architecture, and uh, I completely understand that the item master is going to be different for the warehouse, and sometimes it is, right, depending upon how your architecture is. By the way, I mean, not only it is going to be different for your warehouse, it is probably going to be different for your e-commerce. Then it is going to be different for each of the channels that you are selling. Because they might have very different long description, short description, whatever. Right. you know. Amazon has very different methods than your uh, eBay versus your Walmart, right? So all of that is going to look very different as well. And now when you are sort of trying to use this item dimensions, these item dimensions also need to go to your channel. So it has to be stored somewhere centrally unless your <laughs> WMS is actually passing this information to Amazon because they need to know this as well. So it could get very right. interesting, right? Where the information gets stored because everybody needs to have the accurate information. Um, again, I, I think that's shared in my mind.
0: Yeah, and and you can imagine how some of these projects can get a little intimidating um, sometimes. But uh, the good thing about things like item data is that it's not like, okay, I I need this just so I can pack a little bit better. It's like, no, I mean, this is, stuff that's fundamental it's really foundational for especially if you're an e-com business to know yeah. what you know what you have in stock how big it is what what are its characteristics it's it's useful for a, a ton of other applications as well yeah could not agree more so that's it for today do
2: you have any last minute advice for our listeners
0: oh man i i, I just think it's you know especially with scope 3 emissions reporting requirements coming down Definitely pay attention to not even just packing, but packaging, yeah. um, because almost universally every shipper we talk to, there's just a ton of opportunity there to reduce emissions and save a ton of money. Um, it's kind of the, the 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 last place that a lot of uh, retailers look. Um, but there's a t- ton of value locked up in your in your core kit uh, and your packing process. So at least kind of give it a look and see what opportunities are there for 2023.
2: Yeah, could not agree more. And I think there is definitely something to it. And this space is definitely going to evolve overall from the sustainability perspective. The reporting is going to be much harder. It's going to be embedded as part of the process. On that note, I really want to thank you for your time. This has been a powerful episode, James. Oh, thanks so much, Sam. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show for sharing their knowledge and journey i always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today if you want to learn more about james or his work head over to pacrate.iu it's p-a-c-c-u-r-a-t-e dot IU. links and more information will also be available in the show notes if anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Nate and Jazz Scheisler, who shares their insights on Lululemon's case study of a massive rollout of their ERP and WMS. Also, the interview with Rick Watson, who shares how to plan for warehouse and logistics architecture for DTC brands selling through marketplaces. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you. And I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS podcast.
1: Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS podcast.